been doing is giving people an opportunity just to share about uh, their positive experiences of church uh, because uh, those of us who've been around in church community for a while we've often got some really um, some some of us have got some quite tragic stories to share and the emphasis tends to be on the negative aspects of um, the damage that church sometimes uh, does in people's lives. That sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm saying it and thinking, oh, this is sound so flipping depressing. Um, but actually, church is really, really great. Believe me, if you're kind of checking church out, it is a fantastic place to be. <laughs> and we're just trying to convince ourselves <laughs> by getting people to share some stories just to <laughs> encourage us on the way. And um, this morning, Jackson is going to share something about uh, a positive encounter experience that he's had with, um, with his engagement with church over, over the years. So uh, thanks, uh, Jackson, for this. I really appreciate it. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Jackson, and I am... Um I'm an English teacher, and um, I'm really blessed. I, I should preface this by saying, um, even though we're sharing experiences about church, um, I'm not coming at it from the traditional, or maybe the not-so-traditional sense of church being this building, um, or your church community being the people you know from this building. Um, although for some of us, that maybe is the only church community we have, so I don't want to completely deride that. Um, but I'm very blessed in where I work in that I, I work at Waverley Christian College, which basically means I kind of have a 40-hour work week, which is within a Christian community. Um, and it's a really great experience for me because I'm, I'm actually quite a young Christian. I mean, I'm 30 years old, but I've only been a Christian for about five of those years. So I still make a lot of kind of childish errors when it comes to my faith, much like a five-year-old would. Um, so sometimes you have to bear with me because I do throw little faith tantrums. Um, my, maybe people never grow out of that, I don't know. But um, for me, the thing that I'm really, really lucky with is because I work with so many people who are Christians and we all have this, um, this view that we're a church community at our work. And um, I know a lot of people I talk to who don't work in that environment talk about the difficulty of working in a secular community and trying to bring their faith into that or have that you know, be real and not just a separate faction. Um, so I've been really lucky. And one of the things we do every day, uh, we meet at 8.15 every day, and it's nice and structured because that's schools, everything's bells and that kind of thing. Um, but we meet 8.15 every day, and we either worship together or we pray together. And other schools I've worked at, um, whenever we have the kind of naughty kids, you, you end up going to the staff room and you kind of complain about those kids and you talk about how bad those kids were and how much trouble they've caused you and how much they're ruining your life. Um, for those of you that have never been in a staff room, that's basically all that happens for an hour and then you go out and you teach again. Um, but the, the great thing working in a Christian school is you don't have that. You, we meet every morning and we actually like pray for the, you know, the so-called bad kids um, and you know, like we sort of pray for there to be some sort of intervention it's always really positive and it's always filled with love and the thing that's really begun to strike me I mean I've been there for about four years now um, or three and a half I'm not quite sure but the time I've been there the longer I've been there I've started to realize that it's not even a school really I mean it is that's what it does day to day but it's it really is like a very small um, part of God's kingdom and you really get a sense that a really good 
church, a really good church community and a really good Christian community, is when you start to feel that that kingdom of God actually being there. And, you know, like you have a, a thousand conversations every day and every single one of them could quite happily drop Jesus into it and not have that be a weird thing where people start looking at you or start mentally recalculating all of the assumptions they've made about you. Um, it's just a very kind of natural, great thing. And I think sometimes we... If, if this is the only church community we have, and I know for some of you, you know, this will be all you do sometimes, you know, and that's, you know, that's a, a good start. But for those of us that do, you know, know people within this community, um, I would love it if we could be more like my school. It's not often you say, like, I wish, I wish church was a little bit more like work. But for me, I really, I really do because, you know, like we start every day praying with each other and worshipping God together and not have, you know, there's no embarrassment about it. It's just what we do. Um, and I think it's, it's sometimes, you know, we get together and we meet on the Sunday and, you know, we're catching up and we're asking about our week. Um, but it'd be lovely, you know, if we could, you know, pray together more and just have like really meaningful conversations um, in our um, in our little men's group that myself and Paul and Nathan and uh, Felix are in. You know, that's something we've been talking about recently, how, you know, we come along to church and we don't even really talk about, you know, the, the churchy things. And sometimes that's missing. And I think, like, a really good, healthy, strong community um, can really be open and free and, and discuss those things and pray together. So that's been my really positive experience, like, just being able to work in that environment. Um, it feels like you work at church. And I don't know how Steve feels about that. But, um, but it's been really great, and um, a lot of Christian schools around Melbourne sometimes have quite a bad reputation of, you know, like, we brainwash children, and we, we have all these, like, really arbitrary uniform rules, and that might be true, <laughs> but um, a little bit of brainwashing is good. If you knew how dirty my mind was before I started working there, then you'd be glad it was washed. So um, I'll leave you with that thought. <laughs> Fabulous. That's a, a really good segue uh, to encourage you to um, look at engaging in uh, one of the discipleship groups that uh, Shane is uh, overseeing. And um, I think there's probably about half a dozen groups that we've got up and running at the moment, but we're looking to uh, outroll that a little bit further and creating. These small groups of four, five, six people that meet on a, on a fortnightly basis um, who engage in prayer together and uh, talk about the role of faith in uh, day-to-day life. So um, please see Shane when he's back from his uh, holiday or myself if you're interested in being involved in a, in a small group. Let's uh, just pray while we, uh, before we gather around God's word this morning. Father, we thank you that you're a God who communicates, that you are the God who incarnated himself in a form and in a shape that we could understand in the person of Jesus. And even this morning, we pray that as we gather around your living word, that it would breathe life into our lives. It would have relevance to us in our world. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear that which we need to hear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite authors, Tony Campolo, um, tells the story of a CNN reporter by the name of Peter Arnett. 
who was in Israel in a small town on the West Bank when a, a bomb exploded and bloodied people were, were everywhere. And a, a man came running up to Peter with a little girl in his arms and he pleaded with this um, CNN reporter to take him to the hospital. As a member of the press, um, he'd be able to get through the security cordon that had been placed around the explosion uh, scene. And so Peter, this man, and this seriously injured girl got into the car and they rushed off uh, to the hospital. And the whole time uh, on their journey, the man pleaded uh, for him to, to hurry. He was heartbroken at the thought that this little girl might, might die. And quite sadly, um, the girl's injuries were too great and she died on the operating table. When the doctor came out to give them the news, this uh, Israeli man collapsed in tears. And this hardened reporter wasn't quite sure what to say. He was a little bit hesitant and he was struggling for words. And finally, he said to this man, I really don't know what to say. I can't imagine what you must be going through right now. I've never lost a child. It was then that the man said, Oh, sir, that girl was not my daughter. I'm an Israeli settler. She was a Palestinian. But there comes a time when each of us must realize that every child, regardless of that child's background, is a daughter or a son. There must come a time when we realize we are all family. It's a beautiful story. Um, for centuries, Jews and Palestinians have been embroiled in, um, in a conflict that seems to be um, unresolvable. And despite the rare and um, inspiring example of this uh, Jewish, Jewish settler in our story, the majority of uh, Jews and Palestinians have lost sight of the fact that they are in reality family, that both parties can actually trace their heritage uh, to a common ancestor, Abraham. And although they both um, share the same DNA, these family members remain divided and hostile toward one another. I think one of the greatest tragedies of, uh, of the church is when brothers and sisters engage in warfare with each other. When we in the church who claim to have a common ancestry, a common heritage, a common father. When those of us who claim to be purchased by the same blood, and those of us who claim to be indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, are guilty of dropping our particular bombs on one another. I think there's nothing that undermines the church's credibility before a watching world and nothing grieves the heart of the Father, the Son and of the Holy Spirit and nothing uh, weakens the church's effectiveness more than we as the family of God uh, when we fail to live as a peaceable community.
And so this morning, I want us just to um, really appreciate um, your feedback. I just want us to think through what are some of the things that um, divide the broader church? What are some of the issues, the things that the church tends to have conflict or dispute over? So anybody want to throw something out? What is the sacraments. The sacraments. So um, I would call that um, our practices or our methodology, the way in which we engage what you're, the example that you're using is the example of the Lord's Supper or communion. Sorry? Or baptism. Um, yeah, that's a really another good one. Um, some elements of the church um, participate or um, uh, believe in infant baptism. Others would oppose that very strongly and would believe in uh, the, the necessity and the only, only legitimate form of baptism is adult baptism. Um, so some of the methodologies or the practices of the church, we can expand that a little bit to include um, uh, our worship expressions would be a good example that would sit under the, 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 the thing of practices or methodologies. They're not, they're not necessarily sin issues, they're around about style. And that we can get really upset with one another because uh, another church doesn't worship in the way that, that we do. And uh, it can create tension and conflict. So there's methodologies or, uh, um, or practices. What, what are some of the other things that we get caught up in? That churches get caught up in idol worship. Idol worship, I would put that in the ca- category, well, it's got a theological um, component to it, but also around practicalities. But I'm thinking about things like, sorry, politics? Yeah, I mean, l- let me run through with you what I think are the, the key things that tend to divide the church. Number one is our beliefs. We have... we, we can have different uh, beliefs over a range of uh, particular issues. Um, Let me see what I've got down here. So our doctrine or our theology on things like the the ministry or the expressions of the Holy Spirit. So there's very clear um, division around some of the expressions of um, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, that that some elements of the church would be strongly opposed to and others would, would embrace. And they have a doctrinal position on that. Some of the other things would be um, around... Uh, gay issues, uh, which is one of the things that we'll be touching in June when we when we talk about sexual ethics, and perhaps even in our community, there, there, I'm sure there will be differing views on 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 the topic of gay marriage, and uh, we will have uh, our kind of our Bible verses that we will bring out to either uh, defend our our opinion or to attack another person with. So we will have some tension, um, some theology around, around gay marriage would be uh, one. The issue of women in, um, in ministry and leadership, we touched on that uh, probably a couple of months ago. Those of us would hold different doctrinal positions on, on something like that. Jenny, you were going to... That was the issue you're going to talk about. So we, we, we can be um, kind of separated around the, the issue of, of beliefs. Can I say that there, there is, I believe, there is one thing that we should be... Um, well, if you turn with me to, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1. We see that Paul the Apostle, who um, wrote most of the New Testament, was very clear that there were certain beliefs 
a certain belief or a certain doctrine that really um, was what I would call his core orthodox position that um, he wasn't prepared to negotiate on. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Galatians 1, chapter, chapter um, Galatians 1, let me get this right, verses uh, 6 through to 9, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally cursed. I mean, this is pretty strong language. Uh, and uh, just to uh, emphasize his point, uh, point, he says, As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anyone, anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Um, Paul did have a doctrinal position on one particular issue that he was so passionately committed to that he felt that it was something that that, um, should be retained. And it was the primary issue of the gospel. It's actually the nature of the gospel. If we're going to be sold out for anything, it should be on what our understanding of the gospel message is. And everything else... Gay marriage, um, the gifts of the Spirit, women in ministry, while they have some level of importance, they are actually secondary issues. What is of primary importance is our understanding of what the gospel message is. And the gospel message of it is essentially this. As you begin to unpack, as you go through um, Paul's, not just in Galatians, but elsewhere, but particularly through Galatians, Paul begins to communicate what the gospel is. And the gospel, in essence, is this, is that humanity is in right relationship with God exclusively by faith, in the grace of God, which was demonstrated by Christ at the cross. And that the only way that you or I, anybody else, can be in right relationship with God is through their, their trust in the work of Christ. There is a righteousness by faith that comes to us, that is presented to us in the person of Christ and what, the work that he did at the cross. And everything else, folks, is secondary. And we can have differences of opinion on a whole range of things, but we can't have a difference of opinion on that, according to Paul. And I support Paul. Please agree with my theology in advance. The second thing that we tend to get kind of um, all hot and bothered um, regards is our intolerance of weakness. So those of us who perceive ourselves to be strong can get a little bit frustrated and angry with those in the church who, by our measure, are weak. And a really good example of this is Paul the Apostle. In Acts chapter 15, um, he was in uh, ministry partnership with a, a, a chap called ba- uh, Barnabas. And they were going on a missionary journey, and Barnabas 
who um, was a real encourager, said, let's take this young guy, John Mark, with us. And they'd had, had a, a bad experience with John Mark in the past. He'd kind of wet his pants when the pressure was on. He'd deserted them. And, um, and yet Barnabas, being this man of encouragement, still wanted to take John Mark on board on their next um, ministry trip. And Paul said, no way, he's a weakling. He doesn't have it within him. And discounted John Mark from ministry on the basis of his past performance. And I think sometimes what we do in the church, some of our issues of division are are around. Those of us who perceive or consider ourselves to be strong, being dismissive of those that we, in our thinking anyway, are weak. And that creates friction. Thirdly, um, the other issue that uh, I think typically divides the church is around behaviour, around uh, definitions of um, moral issues and our definition of what is right and what is wrong. I think it's probably, in, as I'm getting older, the way that I'm, I'm viewing this is I'm seeing that things in life are healthy or unhealthy, helpful or unhelpful. And I'm certainly not trying to water down the issue of sin. But the problem that we have in the church is that we tend to create our definition of who's in and who's out on the basis of certain criteria. I was talking with, uh, with a couple yesterday and they, to illustrate this point, really helpful. Um, this couple were telling us about a, um, a family that, are, that are, they are close to. And the mum and dad of this family are really great Bible-believing, church-attending Christians. One of their, their children, their daughter, has um, elected to live with her boyfriend, so they're not married and... Um, they possibly, sorry, was that a gasp there from someone? They've decided not, uh, not to be married. Um, they probably wouldn't, may not define themselves as Christians, and they've decided to live together. Now, these parents who are Bible-believing, church-attending parents have given their daughter and their son-in-law, uh, treated them, let's say, ungraciously. And have said some fairly hostile um, things uh, t- uh, about them and toward them. And yet, in response to that ungraciousness of this Christian couple, who are upset by the fact that their daughter is not prescribing to a particular moral code to which they ascribe to, in response to that, the son in law is incredibly Christ-like and gracious toward them. My question to you is, who is really the Christian in that scenario? Is it the son-in-law who is forgiving and gracious and understanding and seeking to be um, tolerant of their intolerance? That's a really interesting question. The other thing that we tend to um, get caught up on 
in that causes divisions within the church is around personality cult. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, um, Paul talks about divisions in the church. And he says, you know, uh, there is this debate going on where some claim I'm a, I'm a follower of, of Paul, I'm a follower of uh, Apollos, I'm a, uh, I'm a follower of, of Peter. And that, Paul says, is creating such divisiveness in the church around personalities, around ministry gifts, around the Christian superstar, around who, who the best preacher is. And I mean, that thing is rife within uh, church t- culture today that we follow, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, I love N.T. Wright, for example, and I, I just kind of think this guy's got a great handle on theology, but I don't go, I follow N.T. Wright. I don't want to create, you know, a definition around a personality and then the other thing is around cultural distinctions. In Acts um, chapter 6 and verse 1, there's a story. It says, uh, in those days when the number of disciples were, was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so in terms of the, the social welfare system of the church, of the early church, um, what was happening is one cultural group were being favoured over another cultural group. Um, and so we have these divisions ar- ar- around cultural uh, distinctions. Um, when I first became a Christian, I, 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 was, I came to Christ through an Italian um, church community, and um, being Italians, they love to drink their wine. Unfortunately, they were part of a denomination um, who were completely opposed to wine drinking. And so uh, this particular denomination decided um, that they were going to ban wine drinking. Um, and so if, particularly if you were a pastor, they were going to forbid uh, all pastors within that denomination for them to retain their c- credentials. They had to sign a commitment that they would not drink wine. And so what the Italians did said, well, if you bring that into law, uh, we will we will leave. And so there was, from this Australian denomination, there was no willingness to kind of um, think through the context of this the Italians' culture. They wanted to kind of stamp everybody or make the law applicable to to everyone. So in the face of these um, conflicts and divisions, which um, can encroach upon the church, the Bible encourages us in um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, when all of these things are going wrong, when, when division and conflict, whether it's over belief, whether uh, various beliefs and doctrines, whether it's over behaviors, whether it's over um, methodologies and practices, whether it's over cultural differences, in the face of all of these things which are emerging, Paul says, please make every effort. Put as much energy as you're able to into maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And so what I want us to do this morning is just ask the question, and let's not think about the broader church, but let's drill it down 
into the practicalities for us as a local church in Fitzroy North. What is it that unifies us as a community? What are the things that become the priorities which, which ensure that we don't give way to division and conflict? What are, the, what, are the, what are the things that we just say, this is how we are going to work through the potential conflicts that will invariably emerge when we disagree over certain issues? So give me some thoughts and some feedback. So, so an attitude of grace... What is it, uh, did I, I probably may not have um, articulated particularly well, what is it that in the face of all of the opportunities that we have to be in conflict and disagreement over, what is it, what are the, what are the characteristics or what are the things that we want to hold on to that will enable us to um, be unified when the opportunities arise for us to give into into division and to conflict as a community. So to be a yep. fabulous. So a willingness to stretch ourselves outside our particular social network and to be embracing of others that come in through the doors. Great. Excellent. Yes, Tom? Just the ability to listen without um, Fabulous. Fantastic. Listening. To have a, uh, I suppose, respectful um, ear to others. Very good. So even within that, there's inherent the sense of humility that um, that I could learn from others. That. Yeah. So to be a, a learner, to commit yourself to learning, that's great, excellent. To, to celebrate difference, to celebrate diversity. Esther? Okay, the beauty of diversity, yeah. Finding the common ground, celebrating that and identifying that. Can I, can I just say, which is a really key point, I, I'm, the common ground for, for us as a community and I, I, doctrinally has got to be the gospel. That we are in agreement that humanity is made right with God 
exclusively through the work of Christ. That it's not through our own self-effort. It's not through our. It's not through our ability to fulfil a particular moral code that makes us right with God, but it's a, an absolute reliance and dependence upon who Christ is and what He has done for us, and that becomes that orthodox core becomes the common ground, our centre. And whilst there might be differences around a range of other important issues, those issues don't become a point of division for us. The thing that anchors us and binds us and the thing that we celebrate is the nature of the gospel that treats us, each and every one of us, as as equals because we are all in need of what Louise said is of of grace, that we are all reliant on grace. Without that grace, we are all equally, equally lost. Sorry, Anthony, you were going to... Okay, so that there is a unity that has been established by Christ and we're locked into that together. I think that God, there is no right or wrong. I think they're just different opinions. So like there are some fundamental things that are wrong, but understanding that someone else's opinion isn't wrong, it's just different. And so that, yeah. So very, various perspectives of an non-essentials alright let's just one more and then we'll understanding and acceptance understanding and acceptance so there the things I think which are extremely helpful the, the things that I think will anchor us and help in, a, in, in addition to what has been said is one is a shared understanding and embrace of the gospel which I've already mentioned Secondly, an appreciation of diversity, which someone has already mentioned. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through to 31. Paul um, adopts the analogy of the, of the body to describe a healthy, functioning community. And what he suggests is just as the, as the human body is made up of different cells and organs and limbs, they all work together to form a functioning whole and so um, unity is not brought about by uniformity. Unity is actually a respect for diversity and an acknowledgement of the importance of what each person in their place of difference brings to the whole. And then uh, thirdly, that we are governed by, an eth- or by the ethic of love. That in terms of, um, of morality, that the thing that governs us um, is not those external measures that the church is so often um, guilty of, of um, adopting, 
But the thing that, that we, we use to measure ourselves is, is the measure of love. And the Greek word for love, or the, one of the Greek words for love and the love of, of highest expression is the word agape. And this kind of fits in with, um, with what Nat was suggesting, that embedded within the concept of, of agape love are the, are the ideas of welcome, um, the word agape actually in, it means to entertain. Um, and so there is a sense of, um, of inclusion. The reality is we're, each one of us is soci- sociologically hardwired that we're drawn to those who, with whom we share um, similar or common values and interests. Um, in fact, if you want to grow a church, the growth church experts tell you that you need to homogenize that you need to um, narrow down your market, determine your demographic, and that's what you need to go for. One of the things that really scares me at the moment um, about our community is that we're tending to draw the 20s and 30-year-olds. And while that's great, and I don't want to get rid of you uh, (laughs) in any shape or form, uh, because when we first came, it was right over the other side. Probably the, the age demographic when we first arrived was, uh, would have been kind of touching the, 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 literally would have been hitting the 60s mark. Um, it was mid, mid 50s. Uh, I, would, I would argue for 60s, but then, then anyway. We won't go through the maths. Maybe somebody can do that. One of the things that scares me is that we become very homogenized. And Louise and I are, are praying, God, bring in those who are, in addition to the 20s and 30s, bring in those who are at the other end of the demographic in order to bring in uh, a sense of family, which is incredibly Every family is diverse in terms of the demographic within it. And so the nature of agape calls us to welcome and to involvement and to entertain those who sit outside our particular homogenous um, um, boundary. What I want us to do this morning is, um, if you have your Bibles... Sorry, I feel like I've preached really ordinarily this morning. I feel like I've been a little bit all over the shop. Um, but that's okay. You have bad days at the office too, don't you? <laughs> yeah, community of grace. Yeah. On our tables, we have, um, we have uh, the cups. And in those cups, there is... Because we're not Italians, it's grape juice. <laughs> and Paul writes, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one love, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one love. 
what I'd like us to do as we close our service this morning is to actually partake of communion um, and partake of the cup in recognition of our individual connectedness to God. Um, and the individual, that, that cup signifies the expression of our individual faith. Um, but then what we're going to do is um, we're going to break bread, a one loaf. And I'm going to ask us to um, come forward together and uh, for those of us who'd like to, to take a piece of the one loaf in recognition that we are one body. Um, and feel free to take a big chunk as well. Um, so I invite you to take a cup uh, in acknowledgement that it is by the blood of Christ which this cup sim- symbolizes and um, points to um, the gospel that declares that we are only righteous, we are only in right standing with God by virtue of our dependence upon the sacrifice of another. That is the only way. That is, that is the exclusive primary um, belief to which we subscribe, to which all things must um, bow. So let's drink together this morning in recognition of our individual relationship with God. And then, let's just read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are the one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And so but the body of Christ, which was uh, broken for us, um, this one loaf from which we eat is a symbol of our connectedness together that we rely and depend upon um, the broken body of Christ. Not only to reconcile us with God the Father, but also to reconcile us one with another. And it's this bread, this one bread, loaf of bread which is the core thing that holds us together as a diverse community. So um, how shall we do this? Can we get, um, can I go uh, four volunteers, perhaps? Thank you. Beautiful. And um, maybe it's just, Go stand across here. And I want to invite you this morning, as the body of Christ, um, to come and uh, take a piece of bread and um, let's eat together in recognition that we're connected through the broken body of Christ.
Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in, your, in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.